0: What if we changed the name of the church? What do you think of that? Oh, boy, I bet I just got your attention. Well, what are we going to call it, you might ask. Well, there was a time long ago when the elders of the church were very close to proposing a name change. How about Parkside Christian church? That's what was on the minds of the leaders. Since many people came from outside the borders of Clarence, and since Christians seemed a generally understood, better term, and since we were located next to a park, it all made sense. Parkside like Christian Church. But things happen and other matters pushed that name change thing down the list of priorities and it's been forgotten until I just brought it up. That's just where it stayed. Some churches are named after people, right? Moody Bible Church, the famous Moody Bible Church in Chicago. Randall Baptist Church right over here on Main Street. St. Patrick's Cathedral to name a few. One church had an issue with their sign. The letter S fell off of their sign. And this is what it said. Ain't Peter's church. Ain't Peter's church. Nope. Hilarious. Now, our guys, our Wednesday morning group, would see that and repair that right away, but I don't know how long it took to repair that one, but that's pretty funny stuff. Halfway between Bolivar, Missouri and Buffalo Missouri lies the town of halfway Missouri and as you might guess there's a church there known as halfway Baptist Church yeah it's a real thing and I assume there's a, a halfway high school and a halfway police department and a halfway barbershop etc you can take it from there man. you can have a lot of fun with that happening can't you I uh, used to live in Big Flats, New York between Corning and Elmira, New York, a little town called Big Flats. And there was a Big Flats pizza shop. I mean, it's just like, and one time there was a competition for Miss New York State, and the girl who entered from our region was called Miss Big Flats. Yeah, it's a real thing. It's crazy. I love names like that. My friend Gary uh, was a minister at the Pleasureville Christian Church near Louisville, Kentucky. Buffalo has a church called, I've got to read this now, Walls Memorial African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Wow. Well, we've been looking at word pictures of the church found in the New Testament because we're trying to learn what God wants us to be. And the pictures really help us understand. We've looked at things like kingdom and the body of Christ and the family of God and we're new citizenships. We have a new citizenship and we're a building that God's putting together. I'm going to read a short verse for you today from 1 Timothy and let you see the word picture there, okay? I'm just bringing this on you this morning. This is what Paul writes to Timothy. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Well, there's a word picture for the church. How about we change our name to the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. All those in favor? No, every time you take a vote, there's people who disagree with whatever you're voting on, so then you have the name, and and you know. Just don't vote. It sounds a bit arrogant, doesn't it? The Church of the Living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. As if, who do they think they are? I mean, are they the only ones that are the pillar and foundation of the truth? Don't we have some of that ourselves? It's kind of a lofty name. It sounds almost exclusive. Are you a member of the Church of the Living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth? Well, I want to say yes, but gosh, that sounds kind of like an exclusive club. You know, I don't want to put other people down. It is quite a title and quite a mission statement and quite a standard to live up to, isn't it? The Church of the Living God the pillar and foundation of the truth. Here's the context. Paul had to quickly leave Ephesus because he was a wanted man. He went up to northern Greece temporarily to a safer place, and it was from there that he wrote this letter back to Timothy. While he was a wanted man and felt rejection, at the same time, he was very hopeful. He was like a gardener who plants small seeds in the month of May with the hope that a couple months later there will be a harvest. You know when you plant a garden there's weather issues and there's animal issues and there's disease and it seems like those little plants will never produce anything. But gardeners are eternal optimists, aren't they? I plant, I water, God gives the increase. That's how it works. There's a lot of life in those little seeds, and lots of promise. And remember, Paul said he was planting the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Heads up, you guys, the term living God is something that God is very proud of and wants you to know. He's not like all the other gods around here, okay? He is the living God. It's 169 times mentioned in the New International Version of the Bible. 169 times. In case you forget, He's not like those stones. He's not like those pieces of wood. He is the living God. And, of course, when He says, I'm the living God, it means you aren't. Neither are you. Just be quiet. Stay where you are. Uh, Paul planted this little garden in what appeared to be very harsh soil. Soil. Uh, Ephesus was the proud home of the temple of Artemis. The Romans called uh, the same Artemis in their vocabulary, they call it the goddess of Diana. Same thing, different cultures and language. The legend was that a meteor fell from the sky into the city of Ephesus and the legend says that the Meteor was shaped in a small version of a human being, a female human being. And the citizens of Ephesus believed they had been visited by a goddess. And in her honor, they built this magnificent temple that became one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And this all happened about 800 years before Jesus arrived on the scene. And so this made Ephesus the center of worship for Diana. And much like Mecca today in Saudi Arabia, it resulted in annual pilgrimages. People went to Ephesus to see this temple and to do worship. And Ephesus became Sin City way long before Las Vegas was ever born. Now, it was convenient. Somebody in Ephesus was a a business person. Conveniently, they said Diana was the goddess of fertility. How convenient to invent a religion like that. That meant, you know what, we could get tourists to come and participate in pagan worship. There were male and female prostitutes. Available for this twisted, horrendous form of worship. The idea was that the goddess Diana was very pleased with this kind of behavior and if she was happy, she would send rain and we would have more good crops and life would be good for us. Like most tourists, when you go someplace, you buy souvenirs. And that became big business in Ephesus. People go to Paris, they buy a little image of the Eiffel Tower. That's that's how it goes, right? When people went to Ephesus, they bought these little images of the goddess Diana to take home. Well, Paul spent two and a half years of his life planting the church of the living God in this place. The pillar and foundation of the truth opposed to this goddess Diana and her magnificent temple. What are the chances of success in a tough place like that? You can read all about it in Acts chapter 19. That parallels the story that I'm telling you right now. By the power of the Holy Spirit, there were so many conversions to Christ that those who made and sold all the souvenirs lost customers. Wouldn't that be cool? It was so bad that they ran Paul out of town. That's why he had to leave and go north to a safer place. This is what they accused him of in public. Acts chapter 19, verse 25 and 26. Men, you know we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people. Here in Ephesus and in practically the whole promise of Asia, he says that man-made gods are no gods at all. Oh, there was no backing down with Paul, was there? What are you doing worshiping that rock? That's just a rock. What are you doing? There's a living God you need to know about. Paul left Timothy behind. And then he sent him a letter of instruction telling him how things ought to be done in the church of the living God. It's First Timothy. From his departure to go north, we have the incredible letter of Ephesians, six chapters of magnificent truth and writing. Oh, my goodness. And then we have 1 Timothy. It's pure gold. That's the setting. Sometimes you hear smart people uh, talking about how tough it is in America today to be a Christian. We live in a post-Christian era. And we're supposed to feel bad about that. Uh, Things aren't like they used to be. It's not like your grandpa's church. Not everybody goes to church anymore. The church attendance has dropped off. Uh, Some uh, of values that we used to hold dear, the culture has rejected, and things have gone downhill. There are new guides uh, popping up. Uh, There's personal fitness and pets and technology and kids sports you name it there's all kinds of stuff out there pulling people away and it has become a sport to mock the living God and to ignore his church poor us the whole idea of the post Christian era translated means the church in America is outnumbered we're small we have excuses for not being faithful to the Lord Poor us. That's how I take it. Heads up, you guys. This passage of Scripture was written to Christians in a pre Christian era. Not post, but pre. People didn't know anything about the Lord, about His resurrection, about His adoption into His forever family. It was rocky soil. With lots of competition. So I want you to be encouraged. We are certainly not the first generation to face hardship or to be in the minority. Nobody's preventing us from coming to public worship today. You can if you want to. I'm sure, from my experience in travel around this world. I am sure that millions and millions of Christians around the world would be very happy to take your spot this morning in your post-Christian era and enjoy the freedoms and delights that you have in Christ. So, no excuse for us. The light shines in darkness. It always has. That's what the Lord intended. We shine best when it's dark. So let's shine. The church in Ephesus managed quite well Not because of some great strategy or because of excellent leadership or because of some magnificent speaker, but because it was the church of the living God who is active in the lives of his people. He he works among his people. That's what he does. We see it here all the time. The church is a garden growing against the odds. It may look like you're surrounded, like that song goes, it may look like you're surrounded. You're surrounded by God. Jeremiah 32, God says to Jeremiah in a pretty big pickle, He says, uh, is anything too hard for me? Go ahead, ask. Anything too hard for me? Bring it on. Okay, let's continue with this word picture of the church of the living God and the pillar and foundation of the truth. Because when he said that, it meant something to Timothy and all the believers in Ephesus. They quickly caught the wordplay that we missed. The Temple of Diana, again, was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was a magnificent place. Today it's not so much that. There's only a few pillars that remain of this ancient wonder. But during its heyday, the Temple of Diana was stunning there were 100 a builders construction guys and girls engineers designers think about this there were 127 pillars around the temple of diana each one made of marble 60 feet tall man that'd be something to work with and you have to wonder how did they get those pillars up in right in that right place? How did they get them there? That's just an amazing thing. This building was four times larger than the Parthenon in Greece. Can, can you imagine it? This temple was held up by these pillars and it was kind of on a hill so it was visible to people far away. I hope you're beginning to see the contrast here. The Church of the Living God versus a temple that's centered on a stone formed in the shape of a human being. The pillar and foundation of truth, as opposed to these 127 pillars holding up a lie. God intended His church to be the pillar and foundation of the truth, and sometimes the church wanders away from that, and God God calls us back to follow His Word. I know... There's a lot of controversy today about what is truth. What might be true for you isn't true for me. Well, I go back to Webster's Dictionary, 1828 edition, that defines truth as uh, conformity to fact or reality. Conformity. That's what truth is. Is conforms to the facts. If, if it's not backed up, then drop it. So it's Jesus versus Diana. And in Paul's mind, there's no comparison. Listen to this description that he gives to Jesus. Colossians 1. What a tremendous statement. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and things on earth. Visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were made by Him and for Him. He's before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. That is the living God. That is Jesus versus this stone in this temple the fact is the church is made up of flawed people but the church is great not because of the flawed people but because of its exalted head Jesus and that's where Paul goes next in his letter to Timothy he gives those little bullet points you guys it's real easy to follow this is a six point outline of the biography of Jesus you can summarize Jesus life in these six points this is a pillar and foundation of truth this is what the church is built upon here's what it says next to Timothy beyond all question the mystery of godliness is great he appeared in the body was vindicated by the spirit was seen by angels was preached among the nations was believed on in the world was taken up to glory six points biography of Jesus right there. I know we left out a lot. Paul left out a lot there. But that's the gist of it. Some think that these six points maybe were a song that were performed in public worship. And some think it was a memorized statement of the fundamentals. That this is what you had to believe and maybe quote before you were baptized. Some people think that. But whatever, it's a, it's kind of like a responsive reading. The leader would say the first statement and the congregation would say the second and back and forth six times. It's an easy way to remember is the idea. It's just a six-point formula. You, whatever it is, hopefully you can help, you can, it will help you remember. A young boy was on the witness stand during an intense trial and the prosecuting attorney was asking the, boys, the boy questions and he came to the point where he thought he had the boy trapped and he was going to ask this question it was going to turn the whole case in his favor he said now listen son your dad has been telling you how to testify hasn't he and the boy said yes sir he has now the lawyer thought he had him right where he went and he said so tell me What did your dad tell you to say when I asked you questions? And the boy said, Well, my dad told me that you would try to tangle me up in my words. But if I would just be careful to say the truth, I could repeat the same thing every time and I'd be okay. That's what these six points are for us. Six points powerful simple memorizable bullet points that will help you grasp that you are a pillar and foundation of truth this is what the church is built on he appeared in the flesh think Bethlehem think John 1:14. the word became flesh and dwelt among us he was vindicated by the spirit it's the second point He was given power and authority over everything, including death. Uh, You can picture the picture of his baptism and the dove descending, the Holy Spirit descending in the form of a dove on his shoulder. That vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels. Well, we can read the story of his life and see how angels attended him from time to time and were ready at his beck and call from his birth when he was tempted At his resurrection, at his ascension, they saw him as their glorious Lord and were ready to help at a moment's notice. So he appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations. This is where you think about the Great Commission, his last words go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so he was presented as the Savior um, to the world. And that resulted in belief. He was believed on in the world. We know what it says in Revelation, that men from every tribe and nation and tongue and language are going to be present in heaven. How did they get there? Well, they heard and they understood and they believed. And then Jesus was taken up in glory. And that, of course, speaks to His ascension. And that it speaks to the book of Revelation. Revelation where Jesus is surrounded on this great white throne and people all these beings are bowing down before him singing worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb who was slain and so in in these little bullet points, this little paragraph, this little learning formula Paul helps us grasp it the life of Christ starts in this obscure manger in Bethlehem and winds his way up to the great white throne in heaven where he's worshipped this King of kings and Lord of lords. That's it. That's it in a nutshell. That's the gospel. That's what we believe. This is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Now, what do you do then when you say, this is what I believe and this is what the truth, and people say, well, that's good for you, but you know what? It doesn't work for me. Uh, I I struggle with an answer for that myself sometimes. how 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 do you come up with that? Uh, they, they say I, I know that you believe that, but I'm not there yet, and I don't it doesn't work for me like that. Uh, it's as if the the truth were ingredients on a pizza. And you you choose cheese and mushrooms and that's cool for you and I'm choosing anchovies and green peppers for me and that's cool for me. You do what you do and I'll do what I do and leave me alone. And don't force your stuff down my throat. Well, I've been amazed through the years just these little analogies that the Lord's brought to my mind on truth. For instance... I'm amazed when I drive home from the church, I go through the Four Corners in Clarence Center. Lots of you do the same thing. There's a four-way stop there, and through the years of living on the north side of that Four Corners, I have never seen an accident at the Four Corners to my knowledge. Probably there's been one. I just never noticed Everybody everybody stops there. The young drivers and the old drivers stop there. The school buses stop there. Very nice, classic cars stop there. Cars on their way to Lancaster Speedway stop there. Rusty old cars like I drive are there. Everybody stops at the four-way stop. Everybody. And nobody comes along and says, I'm going straight through. It may be good for you to stop. And it may be good for you to stop, but that doesn't work for me. I ain't stopping. No. It's just an accepted thing. Everybody stops. It's a truth accepted by everybody. Deal with it. you're in a hurry, tough luck. Stop. Here's another accepted truth that we all agree with. You have this item in your hand, and uh, uh, you, you say... I know what's going to happen if it slips out of your hand. It's going to fall upward. It's it's going to go up. Everybody in this room knows it's going to go up. You know it. I know it. It's going to go up. You guys are looking at me. You're a dummy. If it slips out of your hand, and it goes every time, it's an accepted truth. If you trip, you're not going up. Oh, how I wish we could go up. But we go down, don't we? It's just like that. And nobody comes along and says, ah, that might be true for you. Doesn't work for me. Really? On planet Earth, gravity is a fact. May not be in heaven, but it's a fact here. Uh, I was amazed again last week. We were with our 7-year-old grandson, and he was reading to us. It's just a joy to hear your grandson read to you. you know, and It's great progress. Big words. The words were pronounced clearly and read in the right order. And uh, he learned to read like you did. He's following the standard that you followed. People don't say, that's not how you read. No. You skip every other word. You don't read every word. You skip every other word, and that's how you do it. We have to fill in the blanks. We have to kind of read along with you. And... It might be true for you to read like that, but that's not how you read. That's not good for me. No. It's a truth that we... It's a standard that we all accept. We all have come to that place where we accept it. This six-point song or memorizable statement agrees... With history. It agrees with eyewitness testimony. It has circled the globe long before we came on the scene. It's backed by archaeological discovery, it's backed by the cultural change in things. You can go ahead and say it doesn't work for you. And you can say believing that doesn't have any effect on life anyway. But think about it for just a second. You deal with four-way stops and you deal with gravity and you deal with reading. So I ask you to just deal with this. Think about this again. This is truth. How dare any church change this truth? We exalt our head, our, our, our Lord. That's what we do. And we talk about Him and we promote Him and we point people to Him. The church was created to bring honor to Jesus. Let me read you two verses and we'll get ready to close here. May God... This is from Romans 15. Listen to this statement. May God give you the spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we exist, really, to bring glory to God. That's what we're about. He is the exalted head. We follow and lift and promote Him. And again, Colossians 1.18, He is the head of the body of the church so that in everything He might have the supremacy. The church is for Christ. And I, I want you to be encouraged today. I, you think, uh, man, post Christian era, and uh, our church is, you know, we wish it was bigger and we wish it could get back and we wish it was this and we wish it was that. I would say to you that it doesn't matter if you're a church in the biggest city or uh, down a country road in a cornfield or anything in between. If you are honoring Christ today, you are the church of the living God. The pillar and foundation of the truth. Hundreds and hundreds of people in the pagan city of Ephesus gave up following that lifeless idol of Diana and started following the living God. They traded the lie for the truth. They found a new identity and a new purpose. Everyone knew Diana's temple was supported by those great pillars. Paul used that word picture to say, you know what? This church, this ragtag group of people that formerly worshiped Diana have been transformed and now they're being held up by Jesus Christ. And the church is the same. The church is a pillar that holds Jesus up for the world to see. And so how we behave how we deal with hurt feelings, how we resolve conflict, how you extend forgiveness to other people, how you serve other people. You shine. You're holding up Christ. When the church speaks the truth and love, you become a pillar and foundation of the truth. So I want you to be encouraged today. Don't hang your head and say, Poor us. Are you kidding me? You're the church of the living God. You are. The pillar and foundation of the truth. Be encouraged. If you would like to talk about these matters and you'd like to be part of the church of the living God, He did all the hard work already. All you have to do is trust Him. Submit your life to Him.